You may be wondering where the normal podium is that I preach from. I understand that at the 11 o'clock service last week, Bruce preached with such vigor that he broke the pulpit. So I'll try to equal that. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do want to fight the good fight and run the race. But often we get discouraged or we get tired and we want to just give up. So Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us and and teach us from it to help us have courage when we feel discouraged, to help us to have hope when we feel hopeless, and to help us to have vision where we feel visionless. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, I was backpacking with a friend in the Sierras, and we were about 10,000 feet up, and we were traversing several steep mountains that were nothing but loose gravel underneath our feet. And so every time we would take a step, we would slide down the mountain an inch or two. And all that sort of made forward, forward progress very difficult. And on top of that, it was blazing hot. Now, along the way, we would pass these places that would have made great campsites. But we had been told that about 10 miles across these mountains were a series of pristine lakes that were just beautiful. And that nobody went to them because it was impossible to get there, as we were discovering. Well, we kept pushing on, and finally we got to these lakes. And when we did, i got to say, it was absolutely worth it. I mean, the lakes were so clear, you could see to the bottom. We were the only people there, and it was so remote and so high up that you could see every star in the sky. It was fabulous. And I was glad that we kept going, that we had pressed on and not quit. Now, for me, that's a great metaphor for the Christian life. At times, the going can be hard and, and forward progress seems almost impossible. In fact, at times, we feel we're sliding back down the mountain. And at times, we feel tempted to quit or at least not work very hard at it. But in the passage we just read, Paul reminds us that our task as Christians is to press on. Not to give up, but to press on. Paul says there's this wonderful goal in life that he's striving for. And that's the goal is to know Jesus. And the verb he uses there, to know, it doesn't refer to head knowledge. It refers to relational intimacy. It's the same verb that is used to describe intimacy in marriage. Paul's saying there's this goal, and and it's, it's not to have a lot of deep theology. It's not to have a lot of intellectual ideas. It's that we can have a personal, intense, real experience of Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he says, not only that, but I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's a lot of power. I saw a movie a couple of days ago called Tuck Everlasting about a group of people who couldn't die. And because they couldn't die, they took all these crazy risks. They'd jump off cliffs. They'd they'd get shot at because they couldn't die. Paul's saying, I want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. I want to be that free, not afraid of anything because I'm going to live forever. And then he goes on and he says, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. That is, when I'm suffering, I want to do that with Jesus and know his companionship in that. And then Paul says, I want to know Jesus so well that I become just like him. Free from other people's agendas. Free from self-preoccupation. Free from worry and anxiety because we're focused only on God. Paul says that's the goal, to know Jesus that well. 
Now, I think most of us would like to know Jesus that well, to be as sure of Jesus as we are of the ground beneath our feet, to know the power of his resurrection so much that we're not afraid of anything because we know we're going to live forever, to know him so well that we become just like him. Wouldn't you like Jesus to be that real to you? How would that change life? How would that make us different if he was that real? Now, Paul goes on to say, not that I have already attained this, So if you're not a perfect Christian yet, don't worry, you're in good company. Paul wasn't either. But he says that doesn't discourage me. Like like an athlete, like a runner in a race who sees the prize, I press on. I go forward. And that's what we're called to do. We've been studying the book of Philippians for the last couple weeks, and we've been looking at the question, how do we have joy in tough times? And one of the ways we have joy in tough times is to press on through difficult circumstances so that we can know Jesus better. And I think this passage raises two questions about how we live our life and about how we do our faith in Christ. Two questions. The first is this. In our faith, in our life, are we stone cutters or cathedral builders? Are we stone cutters or cathedral builders? Let me tell you what I mean by that. There's an old parable about two men who were working outside of a medieval cathedral, and and you know that medieval cathedrals took centuries to finish. And a passerby comes along and he looks at the two men and he says, what are you doing? And one of them just kind of grunts and looks up and says, I'm cutting stones. And the other one looks up off in the distance at the spire and he says, I'm building a cathedral. Are we stone cutters or cathedral builders? Stone cutters are focused on the daily grind of life and that gets them discouraged. Cathedral builders always keep their eyes on the goal, on the end product, and that inspires them to do the work of building the cathedral. Stone cutters or cathedral builders. As you know, Christine and I had a baby two weeks ago. And the way that Christine and I handle the late night feeding thing is that we both get up. So that we're both sleepy. <laughs> Great idea. Christina feeds the baby, then I change her and swaddle her and put her back to bed. Now, parenthetically, some of the older members of our congregation have told me that this is a relatively new idea to my generation. (laughs) That back in their day, the husband didn't get up at all, that the wife did all the taking care of the baby. Now, if that's true, the only thing I have to say is this, that the problem with my generation is we don't respect the traditions of our elders. That's what I say. Now, if you had come by my house at three in the morning on any given night this week and asked me, what are you doing? I'd have said, I'm changing a diaper. I'm swaddling a baby. I'm getting very sleep deprived. But that's not what I was doing. I'm raising a child. I am helping this gift that God has given me to become everything she was intended to be in Jesus Christ. And that involves a lot of daily tasks like feeding and changing and later on listening to her and disciplining her and spending time with her and keeping boyfriends away and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) But if I keep my eye on the big picture instead of those details, I'm raising a child. If I keep my eye on the big picture, the end goal, that keeps me from getting discouraged and it gives me energy to do those daily tasks. It's the same way with faith. 
Our faith grows through a thousand daily decisions. It's not happens in a, it doesn't happen in a lightning bolt. It's a thousand daily decisions to pray every day, to read scripture every day, to submit our business decisions to God and do them His way, to reach out to other people, to obey God. And each of those things is like stones in a cathedral. Each one is like one stone in a cathedral. Each one of those things builds our faith. And our job is to do them with the big picture in mind. Not to get focused on those things or or bogged down on those things or think those things are the point. Those things are the means, the, the way we come to know Jesus Christ. And not get discouraged if it takes a long time to know Jesus and become like him. Cathedrals take centuries to build. A life of faith takes a lifetime to build. Our job is to keep our eyes focused on the big picture, knowing Jesus better and better, becoming like him, and let that give us energy to do the daily disciplines of faith and not give up and not get discouraged. Are we stonecutters or cathedral builders? Do we keep the end goal in mind? The second question I think this passage raises is, are we pioneers or settlers? Are we pioneers or settlers? A settler is someone who finds a comfortable plot of land and just settles down there, just plunks down and doesn't move. A pioneer is someone who keeps forging ahead to bigger and better adventures. Now, a lot of us, myself included, sometimes have a settler view of faith. You know, we get into kind of a spiritual groove and that's good enough. We go to church, maybe have a Bible study, maybe not, maybe say grace at dinner or whatever, And there we stop. And we never move on into new territory in our faith. We we don't take risks to start a new ministry. We don't reach out to people in need. We don't add spiritual disciplines to our life or give more money to God's purposes or whatever it is. And pretty soon, because of that, God becomes predictable, tame, safe, boring, and our faith dries up. But pioneers keep moving on to, to richer and deeper experiences of faith. That's what Paul says he does here. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the goal that's ahead of me. Paul says, forget the past. Forget what is behind you. Forget your past failures, your past sins. Don't let those things discourage you or embarrass you or weigh you down. You're forgiven. Move on. But Paul also means by this, don't dwell on your past victories. He doesn't. He he doesn't dwell on the fact that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and born in the right tribe and all of that. He says, all that's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Don't dwell on your past victories because don't live in the glory days. You know, don't be like the 45-year-old ex-quarterback who keeps reliving the touchdown pass in his senior year, you know. Don't do that. That's undignified. You know, move ahead. God has other things in store for you. Press on to the new thing that God has. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a very nostalgic person. I'm always sort of looking back to this sort of golden era in my life when I thought everything was better. A lot of times I'll be looking through our photo albums. This drives my wife crazy. And I'll look at the pictures and go, oh, remember when we went to Europe? That was just great. Remember when Holly and Jackson were babies? That was so fun. Remember when we didn't have kids? That was amazing. Those were the glory days. Paul says don't do that. Don't look back. Because with God, the best is always yet to be. And each new stage for me has brought new challenges, yeah. But also new blessings that I never would have known if God hadn't moved me forward. Keep forging ahead. 
I can remember being part of a small group Bible study that met for years. And it was this great Bible study. We grew in our faith. We, I mean, we found out about God. It was this amazing Bible study. But after years of being together, we reached the point where we couldn't teach each other anymore. And we had stopped being able to push each other on into new places of faith. And so what we did was we decided that we were done and we disbanded. We remained friends, but we all got into other Bible studies so that we could grow. Now, there was nothing wrong with the old Bible study. It was a great Bible study. It's just that God was calling us to new territory. It's the same in our corporate life together as a church. God has done incredible things in this church. And I never, as long as I am here, I never want to forget the history of our church. Our history needs to be remembered and celebrated and honored. you know why? Because it's a record of God's faithfulness and the faithfulness of his people and what he can do through his people. But I also want to affirm that with God, we're never done. And we ain't seen nothing yet because he's got richer and bigger and better things in store for us. And we remember the past and we celebrate the past and honor it because that gives us confidence that the God who is faithful in the past will be faithful in the future, even in the new and bigger things that he calls us to do. We are called to be pioneers, always moving forward, not settlers who stop and play it safe. In his book, Western Theology, Wes Seliger describes the difference between pioneers and settlers. He says that in settler theology, the church is the courthouse in a little town, and it's in charge of everything. But in pioneer theology, the church is a covered wagon, always on the trail, always moving forward. In settler theology, God is the mayor. And he lives safe in the courthouse, high above everyone else. And he looks down and he watches what goes on in the town. He kind of keeps an eagle's eye on everybody. But in settler theology, or in pioneer theology, God is the trail boss. He's rough and he's rugged and, and, and he keeps people moving. And when they get stuck in the mud, he gets down in the dirt with them and moves them along. In settler theology, Jesus is the sheriff punishing wrongdoers. In pioneer theology, Jesus is the trail scout, always out ahead of the party, telling the wagon where it needs to go next. In settler theology, the Holy Spirit is the saloon girl, keeping everybody happy and comfortable. (laughs) But in pioneer theology, the Holy Spirit is the buffalo hunter, providing food for the wagon train, keeping them nourished. In settler theology, the preacher is the banker. He keeps all the resources under his control and everything has to go through him. But in pioneer theology, the preacher is the cook. He just dishes out the food that the buffalo hunter provides. He's no better than the other pioneers. He just keeps them fed. We are called to be pioneers, not settlers. Never stopping, never playing it safe, always blazing ahead to see what God is about to do in our personal life and in our corporate life together. Last year, I was counseling a couple who came to my office on the verge of divorce. He wanted to quit his job in an insurance company to go to flight school and become a pilot because he was longing for that kind of adventure. She didn't want him to do that because she felt that was financially risky, which it was. He felt that she wanted to just keep him in a job that he hated, in a dead-end job, just keep him there forever, and he felt trapped. She, on the other hand, didn't feel like he was a provider and didn't feel safe with him. And it became, this disagreement became so intense that they separated. 
And I kept saying to them, no, 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 you can't, you can't do this. I think if you press on, if you push through this, God has something in store for you that is bigger and better and more wonderful, certainly more wonderful than a divorce. Don't quit now just because it seems easier. I told him, as hard as it might be, you need to do things that make her feel safe. And I told her, as hard as it is, you need to let him have some kind of an adventure. And I told them both that they couldn't do anything in their marriage without Jesus Christ. Well, neither of them liked anything I said, so the one thing they agreed on was that they wouldn't see me anymore. (laughs) Great counselor I am, right? (laughs) Well, six months later, he came into my office. I thought for sure to tell me that he was divorced. But he had a different story. He said that he'd been laid off, which at first was terrible, but turned into a blessing in disguise because he needed to get a new job. So he got a job in an airport, which allowed him to explore the life of a pilot. And then in the meantime, he began to make sacrifices to make his wife feel more secure. He sold one of their cars to save money. He made a lot of contacts in the airline industry to up his chances of getting a job as a pilot. He promised never to fly on weekends so that they could have time together, and then he made the ultimate sacrifice. He quit golf to save money. (laughs) And they started going to church together, and they started praying together. And the result of all of this was that she began to feel safe. And so after a few months of this, she started saying things to him like, okay, okay, you can do this flight school thing, but do it quickly, and then get a good job and make us a lot of money. And as he was telling me all of this, he said the best part was that for the first time in his life, he felt like he had seen an actual miracle because he didn't think that their marriage stood a chance. And he said, before this, my my faith was always kind of a Christmas Easter thing. It, It wasn't very real. He said, but now I know that God exists. And I'm closer to him than ever. And and I think about God all the time. And I read the Bible and we're praying together. He said, I even listen to the sermons. Because they didn't quit, because they were pioneers pressing on ahead to uncharted territory of mutual sacrifice and laying down their rights for each other, and because they were cathedral builders doing the daily discipline of sacrificing for each other, but always keeping the big picture in mind, a restored marriage, to inspire them, they saved their marriage and they became convinced that God is real. Where might you be bogged down in your life? Maybe you feel like giving up on a relationship or a career or a ministry. Maybe your faith seems flat. Maybe you're just going through the motions. You know, you're going to church, you're saying grace, but it doesn't really feel real to you. And it feels kind of maybe a little bit boring and dull. How might you need to be a cathedral builder? So focused on the end goal that that motivates you to do the daily tasks necessary to achieve the goal. And how might you need to be a pioneer, pushing on to new risks, starting a new ministry, adding a new spiritual discipline to your life, reaching out to someone so that you can know God better. My wife is a fan of the Little House on the Prairie books, which is a story about a family that moves west and ends up settling in the Great Plains And they end up having all kinds of problems, harsh winters, hot summers, crop failures, all kinds of stuff. My wife always says, you know, it's a shame that they didn't just keep moving west like they originally intended. Because the Great Plains has the worst weather ever. 
You know, if they had just gone a little further west, they would have gotten to the west coast, which has much better weather, even in Seattle. <laughs> Sometimes in life, in relationships, in ministry, in careers, in our families, in our faith, it's just easy to want to stop. To just give up and say, this is good enough, I can't go any further, I'm just, I'm done here. But God wants so much more for us than that. He wants us to press on, to win the prize of our upward call, an intimate, exciting, personal experience with Jesus Christ, to stop short of anything but that. It's like going to the symphony and only listening to the overture. It's like going to the movies and just watching the opening credits. It's like eating your spinach but skipping the dessert. Don't do it. You know, to stop short of that would be like the, 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 the pioneers stopping and settling for a dry piece of the Nevada desert when California gold was just on the other side of the Sierras. It's a bad exchange. I mean, who wants to live in Sparks, Nevada when you can live in San Francisco, huh? <laughs> Forgetting what lies behind and straining for the prize ahead, we press on to win the prize of our upward call, deeper and deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ and an abundant life. That's how we have joy in tough times. We just keep on keeping on. Lord Jesus, thank you that we don't have to do this alone. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who gives us the courage, the energy, the vision to run this race. Lord, we help, ask that you help us to press on in hard times. Guide us as we go on this journey so that we can know you more and more. Please do this for us, Lord, and we'll be grateful people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.